You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. July 31st. Wow, where's the time going, huh? For some of us, it's probably going way too slow, right? For some of us, it's going way too fast because we're getting older. Too fast. Got many more years behind me than I have ahead of me, I'm sure. She has a lot more years ahead of her than behind her. In case you don't know, if you're visiting, that's our granddaughter. So, Acts... Acts chapter 18, verses 18 18 through 23, was two weeks ago. And the title of the message was Discipleship 101. The premise was, or the main point was, new believers need to be discipled. And new believers need to be correctly taught in order to grow into strong Christians. And to be able to serve effectively in the kingdom. That was two weeks ago. Right, Tenley? Yep. So last week... The title was Further Instruction Needed, and we read the accounts of two believers, uh, yeah, the, two accounts of believers, first Apollos, and then the 12 believers outside of Ephesus, who had incomplete understanding, who needed further instruction in the Christian life and experience. In other words, Apollos and these 12 believers, we found out from the passage, they needed to be discipled. This week... Acts chapter 19, 8 through 10, the title was Additional Thoughts on Discipleship. Deb's going to come and read. We'll stand together, honor God's word. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of God. Thanks, Deb. You can go back and sit with Grandma now. Thank you. So he said today's title is Additional Thoughts on Discipleship. You know, that's three sermons on this theme in a row. You know you got to focus. If you don't focus, you'll be distracted. And you have to intentionally focus. It's not going to happen automatically. Taught that in the military, I bet, too, right? You can't let your mind stray when you're in battle. You've got to be focused. Third sermon on this theme of discipleship must be important. The nature of today's message is going to be mostly informative with some additional thoughts on discipleship followed by an invitation for the Lord, from the Lord for us to get on board with what he's doing. Did you hear that? The application is going to be an invitation from the Lord 
to get on board, to get involved with what he's currently doing. Let's begin by exegeting the passage. There is a good theological term. Pastors kick around a lot. We're going to exegete this passage. Anybody know what that means? Look at it. Examine it, yeah, yeah. It means you give the factual meaning of the verses along with some commentary of the passage. This is what this means. Here's some comments on it. Move on. We're going to exegete this passage. Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. This is Paul. This is Paul again in Ephesus. And we say again because if you remember back in Acts 18, Paul had already visited Ephesus. They stopped first at the port of Ephesus where Paul left the others behind. While he was there, he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews. They asked him to stay longer, but he declined. And as he left, however, he said, I will come back, God willing. So he sort of promised these Ephesian Jews in the synagogue that he would be back, and now he is. Verse 8 again. Then Paul went to the synagogue, and he preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. And just a little clue for those of you who, who like to pay attention, and that's how many of you out there. That's what I was afraid of. One hand went up. Who all out there is paying attention? We're, we're not at 100%. Well, for those of you who like to pay attention, there's a clue to what the commentary is going to be if you notice the, the words in bold type. That's usually what we'll comment on out of the verse. These are more than likely the same Jews from back in chapter 18 who wanted to hear more. Remember, they, they wanted him to stay, but he, he couldn't. In God's will, he had to move on. They wanted to hear more. That's who he's talking to now. So he has somewhat of a receptive audience. At least they wanted to hear more. And he is make something, he's making some headway, persuading them of the truth. Notice he has to have at least some favor because he stays there three months doing this very thing. And that's not normal. That's not a normal track record for Paul. Three months in one place. He's usually run out of the synagogue after three days, maybe three weeks. He's never been in, in anywhere three months. He taught in Corinth, but that wasn't in the synagogue. Here he's there. He's in Ephesus in the synagogue, reasoning with the Jews for three months. Things are going somewhat well here in Ephesus. What do you think the next word is going to be? But. But. Some became stubborn, rejecting his message, publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue. He took the believers with him. And then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Verse 9, the infamous but. Things were going well, but. And I am no way a doomsday prophet. You know, Eeyore is my favorite character in the Winnie the Pooh series, but I'm not an Eeyore. <laughs> I thought I'd hear a hearty amen over there. 
But there are some realities. And one of the realities is when things are going well, you can expect a but to come because that's the nature of things. The good news is you don't, we don't have to get down about it because God overcomes those buts. But if we go into it not understanding that a but will come, then we can get ourselves in trouble. You know, it's that thing that Paul told the, the or Peter told the, those who he wrote his letter to, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that has come upon you, as though something strange were happening. This is happening to your brothers, sisters, brothers and sisters all over the world, and really all you're doing is filling up the sufferings of Christ. You're suffering like your master did. So we, we press on, we see a lot of victory, we don't get discouraged when the but happens, we press through it. By the way, on the way out to church today, I know that many of you are facing stuff. Is anybody in here facing stuff? God gave me a clear word for myself and now for you. Push through. It's time to push through. We're this close. This close. Whatever. We're close. And the word from the Lord is don't give up. Don't turn back. Now is the time to push through. We're pushing back the darkness and we're about to see a great light break in. So the infamous but, things were going well. Now stiff opposition arose against Paul and against the gospel. The way. What, what in the world is the way? Speaking against the way. Well, listen, this is what the believers had begun to call themselves. Followers of the way. And here's something you might find interesting. The believers of those days... They called themselves, they referred to themselves as followers of the way. They did not really refer to themselves as Christians. Did you know that? They did not really refer to themselves as Christians to much later in history. Followers of the way referred to the church and believers. Outsiders, unbelievers, called followers of Jesus Christ, or called, called, yeah, called the, the believers Christians. And it wasn't a commendable term. It was said in mockery at first and scoffing and slander. When the, unbelievers called, when the unbelievers called the believers Christians, they weren't giving them any kind of kudos. Believers mean, or Christian, man, get it together here. Huh? Christian means little Christ or Christ-like, but they weren't saying in a good way. It was mocking. The believers called themselves followers of the way after John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the, I am the, the truth and the light. So Paul left the synagogue and he took the believers with him. Apparently there was a rather large number of Jews and God-fearing Gentiles who believed Paul's message. They went with him when he left. It was a large enough group of believers that they had to rent a hall in which to meet. They rented the hall of Tyrannus. Now, he was a Greek philosopher, and he taught students philosophy. He was not a believer. The word hall can actually be translated school. So note, interesting, the Ephesian church first met in a school. Yeah. Some of you were not with us. Many of you were. Does that bring back memories? 
We met, you've been around long enough to remember the early days when CCF met in a school, Taylor Building in Columbia, seven years, 1996 to 2003, you met in a school. How many in here did meet with us when we were at school? Show of hands. Hey, we've kept a lot of people along the way. One other interesting note before we move on, and it's in the phrase, he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This is going to blow the mind of Christians in Western culture. History has it. Paul met with the church every day, daily, from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. The reason for those hours, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., folks in that area began work at dawn, especially tradesmen and the working class. The afternoon between 11, 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. were for siesta. Then they worked again in the evening because of the heat. Humorous quote, but it is a true quote. It said of the people of that region, there are more people sleeping at 1 p.m. in the afternoon than 1 a.m. at night. Paul had fit into this schedule as well because while he was at Ephesus, he worked with Aquila and Priscilla in leather working or tent making, some say. So when they closed shop, when they closed their leather making or their leather working or tent making shop, they then went to the hall or the school and the church met because Tyrannus would also be on siesta, so the school wasn't meeting. Think about this now. Quite a sacrifice for the believers to give up siesta for the teaching of the word, to give up siesta to go to church. Western mindset Christians can't understand that because we're usually looking for reasons not to go to church. That doesn't make sense to our Western Christian mindset, unfortunately. This went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. There's so much in this short verse. It went on for two years. So... Let's do the math. Five hours a day, seven days a week, for two years. That's 730 days. That's 3,650 hours of solid teaching from the Apostle Paul. Not just Sunday church, every day, daily. No wonder the Ephesian church became one of the premier churches in the New Testament. Can you imagine the strength of those believers sitting under Paul's dynamic teaching, teaching that often for that long? Just for information's sake, that church became one of the, the most recognized, well-known churches in the New Testament. Timothy, you heard that name, letters to Timothy. He became the pastor the Apostle John finished out his years ministering in the church at Ephesus. And I don't know if that was before Patmos or after Patmos, but the history is that he was at Ephesus when he died. I guess it had to be after Patmos. 
And you, know that it's, you notice that it says people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Many New Testament churches were planted and started out of this Ephesians church, including the church at Colossae, letter to Colossians, and the majority or probably actually all the other six churches mentioned in Revelation, Smyrna, Thyatira, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Pergamon, Sardis. They were all church plants out of the Ephesus church where Paul was solidly teaching the believers every day for five hours. Those believers then went out from Ephesus and began to evangelize the surrounding communities and neighborhood and region, and the gospel penetrated all of Asia, as Asia was known at that time. And this will be the third week in a row we say this, that area of the, of the world that was so, such a central headquarters for Christianity is now 99% Muslim. Islam rules the day there. These believers were motivated and inspired by the teaching ministry of Paul to go out and do the work of the ministry, to do exactly what he was teaching them. Something else to notice in, in the passage, verses 8 through 10, there's a shift in Paul's ministry. There has been a definite, defined shift in the personal ministry of Paul. From personal evangelism, Paul himself leading folks into a relationship with Christ, to teaching and discipling those who came to Christ. The shift is obvious in this and in these recent passages over the last three weeks. That's why we're having our third consecutive message on discipleship. Not too many chapters back, our messages were all about the mission, telling folks who do not know Jesus all about Jesus so they will come to know him. Week after week, God was hitting that church needs to get out there and tell people about Jesus, those who don't know Jesus, so that they'll come to know Jesus. That's your mission. That's what you need to do. Every week was the same thing because that's what Paul was doing. And we're following through Acts. So now he's not anymore. There's been a shift in his ministry. Curious question for you. And you can, you can interact with this question. Do you think he doesn't care about lost souls anymore that He's got enough notches on his belt. Shane? Okay. Shane believes he cares about lost souls. What? So he's trained up enough others to do personal evangelism. He's training up others. That's, that's most likely it. The case is not that he has lost his zeal for, for saving souls. Um, but we think about this. The result of that amount of discipleship, the result was now that local believers were the ones doing the evangelism. Under his teaching, under his tutorage, under his mentoring, his coaching, whatever you want to call it. And part of his teaching, I'm sure, was training those new believers on reaching the lost experiences he had, what he was taught, how to go about it, what to do in this situation, how, or whatever he was training them. Then as people out there began to come to know the Lord through the believers that went out, bring them back to the church where they begin to sit under the Apostle Paul, and this whole thing re reproduces itself. 
God's master plan of evangelism. It's really simple. We make it way overcomplicated. You know, there's a reason we make it overcomplicated. Because it's much easier to focus on a program than it is to focus on personal evangelism. It's much easier to put church programs in place and work on that program and be involved in the church than it is to go out there and actually talk to unbelievers about Jesus. The way it's supposed to work is we are supposed to be going out there telling people about Jesus. Either they get saved or they get curious enough that they come in here. Then in here we teach them and we train them. We equip them. We encourage them. They become part of a loving church family. They have a support system now. They're cared for and they learn how to care for others. They get ministered to and they minister to others. That's the plan. We're not... God may just bring some unbelievers into the church. He works in many ways. But we're not to sit here waiting for unbelievers to come through those doors. We're to go out and talk to them. Bless you. Not only was Paul teaching in this church, but you know he had Priscilla and Aquila and Timothy with him, and possibly the Apostle John, although I think he did come later, this church in Ephesus was getting excellent teaching. The believers were sitting under excellent teaching, and they were growing. They were being discipled, and they were strong, and they became effective in kingdom work. One of the greatest lacks in the church today is discipleship. It's taking new believers under your wing and teaching them and training them and equipping them for what God's calling them to. To become all that they can be. Was that the army slogan? Be all that you can be? That's a Christian slogan too. We want to help new believers become all that they can be in Christ. That's our role. At last for Paul in Ephesus, even more so than Corinth, he was freed up from the personal evangelism soul responsibility to being able to teach and disciple. So this completes the exegesis of the passage with commentary. I want to move to a close, towards a close, but with some additional thoughts on discipleship. We're going to keep it very simple. We're going to keep it elementary. So if you, if you, if you want to learn something... About discipleship, you can pay attention at this point. We'll start right at the beginning, Matthew 28. Why discipleship? Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Or that word commands throws a lot of people. It's more instruction. Follow all the instructions that I have handed on, passed down to you. These verses are commonly referred to as the Great Commission. Jesus is detailing the mission of the about-to-be-formed church. There was no church yet. These were just his early disciples. But he was giving them their commission for when the church was formed. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, the mission is twofold. But it's under one category. The category is go and make disciples. The twofold part of the mission is what we call evangelism and discipleship. 
Evangelism is telling others who do not know Jesus about Jesus so that they will come to know him. We've heard a lot about that. The second, the other side of that coin, it's two sides of the one coin, is now teaching those who receive Jesus all about Jesus, all about his words, all about all his word, all about his ways. We've said it over and over. If somebody gets saved and they don't learn the ways of the Lord and the word of the Lord, their life's not going to change at all. So at the very best, they're not going to be attracting anybody. They're not going to be effective in kingdom work. At very worst, if you know professing believers whose life has not changed, there's a question whether they really came to know the Lord. Because when you come to know the Lord, your life begins to change. That's just a biblical fact. It's scary to think of the number of professing believers in our nation, but the very little fruit, little life change that comes along with it. Believers who don't really want to come to church, believers who don't really love other believers, and I know when, you're first, when you first become a believer, that stuff comes with time, but you need to be progressing towards that because Scripture says those are the marks of true believers. They want to gather. They want to read the Word. They want to pray. They want to love the others. They, they're most comfortable around family, believers, Christian family. Too comfortable sometimes. If there's one thing that gripes me, and you might as well know it, is when I walk into this church and here's a visitor sitting by himself and a bunch of us over here talking, I'm going to be coming up to you. Somebody needs to get over there and talk to them and welcome them. Right? Yes, sir. <laughs> like you were welcomed, right, Shane? You had a warm welcome here. And your mom did. Yep. So that's the essence of Jesus' words here, go and make disciples. We often break it down. It's evangelism, leading folks into a relationship with Christ, then discipleship, teaching them about Christ. Water baptism is tucked in the middle there. Um, it's not really a category. It's, it's like the next step after salvation. It's you come to know the Lord, you should be water baptized and discipled. Water baptism maybe even fits into the, into the discipleship piece. Plug for water baptism, August 21st. We'll set up the tank. We're going to baptize some people. I think we have six right now. If you're interested, let me know. One of the questions I often get, and I've gotten again, I was baptized as a baby. Do I need to get baptized again? My answer is yes, you do. Because somebody else made that choice for you when you were a baby. You didn't make that choice. And scriptural baptism is always about you choose to accept the Lord now you choose to be baptized. Somebody doesn't make that choice for you. That's my opinion on it. I believe it's theologically correct, but you could have a different opinion. So technically there is an order to this, but there's a lot of overlap, so don't structure it too much. And the order is evangelism, salvation first, discipleship, teaching, instructing second. But the entire process we call discipleship. Trying to teach someone spiritual truth before they accept Christ is pretty much futile. Scripture says Satan has placed a veil over the eyes of unbelievers. They can't understand spiritual truth. When I was in the process of coming to know the Lord, a guy was witnessing to me at work over and over again. He got me curious enough to start reading the Bible. I started reading the Bible. It meant nothing to me. I could not understand that thing at all. I was reading from the wrong frame of reference, first of all, and just... Didn't realize that when talked about the chosen people, it was the Jews, 
not America, so the bear coming down from the north was not Canada. Yeah, I know, I was pretty whacked out back in those days. I knew nothing. The point I'm trying to make is when I accepted the Lord on January 16, 1980, that veil was removed. And now when I read, I had such understanding and such hunger to read more. I just, I just ate it up, just gobbled it up. So to try and disciple someone who hasn't yet accepted Christ is really going to be a difficult task. The only upside is there are cases of people who got into a church. They weren't saved. They got into a church. They got into discipleship. And through the discipleship process, they got saved. And God can do whatever he wants. But basically, there's a structure. It's evangelism, then discipleship. We have a twofold mission of making disciples. So if we're going to make a disciple, you think it would be good to know what a disciple is? If you're going to make something, if your boss comes to you and says, I want you to make this, okay, what, what's the blueprint? Or I want you to build this. What's the blueprint? What's it look like? Well, I don't have any of that. I just want you to make it. Well, how am I going to make it? I need to have something. I need to know what I'm making. <laughs> you need a recipe if you're going to bake a cake. What is a disciple? A learner, a follower. That's about as simple as we can break it down. There are other words we could use, probably a long list, actually. But these capture the gist of the word. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower. Now, there's some things that need to be said about that. It's a person who learns from and then follows another person. We, we learn from a person and we follow that person. And we follow their body of teaching, their philosophy, or their ideology. If the concept of the, with the concept of the disciple is the sense that through this process, you begin becoming like the teacher. You become, begin coming like the one who's discipling you. That's why Paul could say, and it's not braggadocio, he said, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. There is this, if you could picture it, here's Christ, the ultimate. Nothing above Jesus. He's the ultimate. And then he's calling people to himself, and he's equipping them to call others and teach others. So you have this long line of people, if you can picture it in your mind, throughout the centuries, we're all marching towards Christ, following the one that he gave us to be disciples, and we're all becoming ultimately like Christ. That's discipleship, and that's the disciples who are following that. You're following the person. You're following the teaching. You become increasingly like the teacher. So if you're going to disciple somebody, there's a huge responsibility on you, on me, that we are following hard after Christ because they're going to naturally follow hard after us. More could be said, but we'll leave that. What's the goal of biblical discipleship? What is the goal of Christian discipleship? A Christian disciple is one who learns from and embraces the teaching of follows Jesus. Followers of Jesus. And through this process, increasingly becoming more like Jesus. In biblical or Christian discipleship, Jesus is the ultimate one. It's all about Jesus. Everything is to ultimately point to him. A trap to avoid when you're discipling somebody. You don't want to make disciples of yourself. Disciple of Hub Smith, disciple of Steve Robinson. 
You say, well, I would never do that. Uh, happen, it can happen so subtly. They just got saved. They don't know Jesus all that well yet. You're there, Jesus. Do you realize that? You're there, Jesus, looking at you. And it's very easy, especially for needy people, which we all are, I know, but especially for needy people to latch onto the person that's discipling them and begin to want to become like them. And then the subtle trap is that begins to feel good to me because now there's somebody that depends on me and I have some worth and I have some importance. So you have to really be careful that when you're discipling someone, you're constantly directing them to Jesus. And don't give them all the answers. The best answer is, have you asked the Lord about that? You seek him on that, and then we'll talk again. Rather than just, oh, yeah, well, here's what it says in Romans 8.28. No, that's a great question. Have you spent some time seeking the Lord? And Tell me what you got from him. It's much easier for people to become dependent on other human beings than it is to become dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they'll soon become dependent on you if you're not careful. Point them to Jesus. So this is the goal of biblical or Christian discipleship. His disciples becoming more and more like him, becoming more and more Christ-like. That those we are discipling are becoming more like him and more Christ-like. That's the biblical Christian goal, and here it is explained in Romans 8.29. God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. Do you realize that's the goal? That's not the mission. Mission is to reach lost souls and disciple them. But the goal of God for every believer is that we become like Jesus. So we have a mission and we have a goal. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. There's that line, all marching towards Jesus, all becoming like the one in front of them, like the one in front of them, and to we're all like Jesus. That's God's goal. Wow, there's a lot of distractions in here. Let's try and keep our, our minds focused. Do I have your attention? What? Yep. That's our goal in Christian discipleship, that many will become like God's son. Christians, first a derogatory term from outsiders, but now little Christ, Christ-like, a good word. They see us, they see Jesus. That's what we want. They see us, they see Jesus. Just one additional thought, and then we're going to close. What's the biblical pattern? What's the biblical model for discipleship? Each one teach one. Second Timothy, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Here's the pattern. Here's the model. Biblical Christian discipleship. It's a classic passage on discipleship, even though the actual word is not in there. Many churches, many Christian organizations use this as a foundation for their discipleship ministry. Take a look here at what we got. You've heard me teach. We know Timothy was discipled by Paul. He sat under his teaching. He traveled with him, extensively with him. He served with him. 
there's a good chance that right now Timothy is the pastor at Ephesus during this, when Paul wrote this. If so, Paul gives Pastor Timothy instructions or a pattern or a model for discipleship in the church, what it should look like. You know, we're not all that big on structures. Our motto is you keep it simple, you keep it relational, flowing in the Holy Spirit, but there is room for structure. You teach others what I have taught you, and in that, you instruct them to teach others, and then you teach them to teach others what you have instructed them. Each one, teach one. In this way, disciples are made. Mature followers of Jesus are formed. The church will reproduce itself, reproduce itself, and grow exponentially. It's the pyramid effect. Each one, reach one. Here's a great way to just remember this. It's so simple. In evangelism, we say, each one, reach one. And in discipleship, we say, each one, teach one. Can you say that? First evangelism, each one, reach one. That means all of you reaching one more person, these pews will be filled. Do you realize that? Now you're bringing them in, so what's the next discipleship? Each one, teach one. You're taking somebody under your wing, you're beginning to instruct them in the ways of the Lord. God made it very simple because we need simple. All right, that's basically and very simple foundation of discipleship. As it actually occurs in real time, it can take on many and varied levels, aspects, etc. But these are the basic elementary teachings on discipleship. The how-tos are endless. Here's a conclusion. We looked at why discipleship, we looked at what is a disciple, we looked at what is the goal of discipleship, and we said what is the biblical pattern for discipleship. So much more we could say, but this leads to the application. And the application is an invitation from God to join with him in what he's doing in these days. Very simple, so that I don't mess it up. I need simple. I know last week it got a little convoluted. This is very simple. If you are interested in being discipled, see me after the service or contact me this week. If you are interested in being trained to disciple others, see me after the service or contact me this week. Okay? All right. Justin's going to come. Will you stand? Wait the thing settle down a little bit and then pray. Well, Father, we hear you. You're 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 being loud and you're being very clear. So thank you for that. Um, when you when you when you expand on what you're teaching us over three weeks, like you've you've done. Um, we need to be paying attention and um, I think we are and I think we're understanding um, exactly what it is you've called us to do we see your word says go and make disciples um, but you're showing us what that means how we go about it how important it is and um, Lord we need you to do all that we need to do it your way we need to put it in your hands so that's what we want to do Lord I ask that you would give us um, wisdom as we learn we'll probably make mistakes 
So Lord, I ask that you give us grace and just gently guide us in the right direction so that we can guide others towards Jesus. And Lord, I just want to thank you for um, everything that you've built, built us up to and taught us over time about prayer and about um, evangelism. And now you're putting your finger on this. You're putting your finger on discipleship. And um, we want to be as versed in that as we are in these other things that, that you continue to teach us, Lord. So um, we're all ears, Lord. We're just submitting ourselves to you. And um, make us disciples, make us disciplers. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.